Hi, this is Ross Payton with uh, Top Church here. This is RPPR episode 93, Better Homes and Bodies. And uh, we here at our role-playing bubble radio want to just say happy Halloween and all that stuff. So yeah. you mix it up a little bit, Top. Anyways. Yeah, I saw that. It. You, I literally was shocked that when you said my name first. Like, but it. it's... I don't, I don't know if I'm comfortable anymore. <laughs> well, it's it's Halloween, so yes, it's, it's, it's good that well, I'm not, it's not comfortable. Halloween yet. But it is October. It is supposed to be horror month, so that's I was just throwing you off, just throwing a little just a little shock and tension. And well, know. great. Now I don't know what's normal anymore. You'll be hallucinating, and you well, know. I do that all the time. Okay, well, fair enough. So uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of our favorite horrific topics. Uh, I'll be talking a little bit about. Uh, well, I, I chose architectural horror, and uh, Tom, of course, chose body horror. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about each, and uh, so just a little, just like, a little thank update. Thank you, David. Cronen- some, something to think about. David Cronenberg. Thank you. JG Ballard represent. You know. Uh, so those two get together. They're gonna they create something horrible. Well, he Ballard's dead. I mean, he he's been dead for a while. So. Even better. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it is right. Horror. So uh, before we get started, uh, have a bit of news. Uh, a couple of bit, a couple of little things for you out there. Uh, by the time you listen to this, Base Raiders will be out for sale. For those of you who missed the Kickstarter, can now buy my book. Buy my new book. Please buy my book. Seriously, uh, Ross, that that's all Ross has been saying. <laughs> it's it's kind of creepy. Yeah. Uh, it will be out on Amazon, CreateSpace, uh, and Drive Through RPG. Uh, if you buy it through Amazon or CreateSpace, no. uh, if you email me, I will and send I'll say, you yeah. uh, a link to the. P- I'll send you the PDF. And this is Ross's project entirely. So I want you to know, I actually have nothing really to gain from this, but I have read it. It's a kick-ass book. <laughs> well, thank you, Tom. I mean, yeah, okay, it does have my name in it, which yes. I and it has pictures of my character, which I love even more. Yeah, but. Seriously, it's also there's a lot of great substance in with, with my awesome name. <laughs> well, and of course, we will be doing actual plays of it. Oh yes, oh yes, will we be, will. I will be forcing them at gunpoint to play the game that I know they will just loathe and bitch at me about. Uh, as How in, dare you! It's like a sweatshop in here. It's a little known secret among our yeah, PR. It's a uh, involuntary. There's uh, a, yeah, there's a lot of bodies of foreign players <laughs> buried under this house. Yeah, you thought Cody moved away. He he or he, he got busy. No. Now, anyway, you might say he's still here. <laughs> he's with us. He's with us right now. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so uh, also for those of you who did back the Kickstarter, all your copies have shipped except for the well, including those two guys who gave me answered their surveys literally like yesterday, like I posted the announcements weeks ago, like, hey, all copies. Are, oh, no, you didn't send me. So, yeah, I said I shipped your book. So all copies have been shipped except for those who still haven't filled in their surveys. All well, like five. Hey, of you. Ross might be a horrible monster, but he's not a fucking horrible. I monster. fulfill my obligations just like Metastopheles. You know, I will fulfill my end of the bargain. Uh, you pay me filthy so you're lucre. laughter. You pay me filthy lucre for these products and I shall deliver them. No matter the cost, as long as the postal service doesn't fuck it up, I I pay my pay postage, and, that, and that's that's it. And the postal service—that's a whole other different set yeah. of evil. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, talk about the banality of evil. No, no, actually, I, I like them. except for no, they, they're pretty evil because they fucking international shipping cost. Oh my god! Oh my god! So expensive. So, anyways, yeah, we're all under one blanket government anyway. I don't know why there's. <laughs> so we're we're we're. Uh, not even on rails yet. Uh, finally, uh, well, a couple other minor things. Um, 
just sort of an update for those of you who are want to back the site, like the site. Uh, for those of you who donate, and subscribe, uh, and or get RPPRB saves. One, first one, I thank you. Uh, but t- uh, uh, two, some of you may have noticed uh, up until. Uh, recently, I use Amazon affiliate links, which means if you click on a link on the RPPR show notes that goes to Amazon and you buy something there, then I would get a couple of percent of that. So uh, I made literally tens and tens of dollars over the years with that. Uh, so he laughed about it. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, like, yes, I have all the tens of dollars. <laughs> uh, but it, it helps. Every bit helps. And uh, but I bought, you know, SD cards with that for the recorders and stuff like that. But uh, because of a dispute between Amazon and the Missouri state government, we are located in Missouri. Uh, I can no longer get that sweet, sweet 4% uh, Amazon affiliate link money. So 4 to 6%. Uh, so uh, there are, will be no more Amazon affiliate links. Uh, feel free to cr- click on that stuff on there, but just buy it. If you want to buy it, don't feel like you're not, it won't hurt. It won't help me or RPPR. If you want to donate, donate. So that's for the few. And if you want to wail and gnash your teeth because Ross isn't getting his money, that's totally understandable. Well, you just donate we'll create directly a website. thanks to PayPal. We'll, just, we'll, we'll create a website for your wailing. Right. Um, so that's a very minor thing. Uh, I just thought I should bring that to your attention. Um so if you feel like if you can't get the best deal on Amazon for whatever, feel free to get whatever you want somewhere else. Uh, As we plan the the overthrow of the Missouri government so we can fix this. <laughs> well, I would rather overthrow Amazon. They're, they've got a shitload more money than the Missouri state government. That's frightening. Actually. Well, it's true. I know. Would it, you, it, what it, would you rather run? I don't know. Yeah. There's crazy people on both sides. No. Yeah, well, yeah. Bezos is kind of weird. Anyways, uh, Tom, you backed the Accursed RPG I did. Yes, I did. Uh, And so you backed it at a level that you're going to get a special reward. Yeah, it's uh, an exclusive game uh, run at Gen Con 2014 that will actually be, you know, canon to the story of the game. So, oh, nice. Yeah, so it's going to be uh, 12 players, basically six per game. Yeah. And I will be in on that next year. So Grignar the Invincibly Insane can uh, show up with his uh, Statue of Liberation, or maybe uh, Grunwald the Ghoul uh, shows up and is uh, eating people and needs all the cannon heroes. Is yeah, that, it's probably... That's what you're going to do. It might be Grunwald. Just wreck the cannon as much as you humanly can in one game. As much as I inhumanly can, because ah. it's a curse that you're playing monsters, and eh? All right, so that that's your goal, though, right? But yeah, I, I swear, <laughs> but literally, Cursed, it's a game where you're playing monstrous heroes. It's like they made this game for me. I know, I know. So uh, you'll be getting the book. Uh, hopefully, you'll be able to run a game for us, and then we'll, of course, record your game at Gen Con. Yes, um, if they, you know, unless, if they like, unless yeah. it's top secret. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, we will respect their wishes, but... That's something to look forward to. Totally. Um, and finally, Aaron, uh, I know Raillery, our little video game Let's Play, has been sort of on in uh, hiatus because of Base Raiders, but now Base Raiders is finally done with. So uh, Aaron has stepped forward, and he is going to be doing a new series for Raillery, uh, where he plays scary games and records his reaction to said scary games. Uh, so you can see Aaron freak out at scary games. Because Aaron, Aaron does freak out at scary games. Yeah, it's it, it, yeah, I helped him film it. He, yeah, it's and he's fun. not acting. It's, yeah. Uh, the first game he will be doing is Outlast, which is a like amnesia, but set in a Modern day uh, mental hospital that's run by a private corporation performing horrible experiments. Oh, those experiments. private corporations. Before, yeah, uh, performing uh, horrible experiments on the uh, patients there. So it is very scary. I've actually beaten it. Um, so, yeah, it should be uh, a lot of fun to see Aaron 
go through that. And it was all a dream. No, 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 it's not. Well, that's kind of a spoiler, but, uh, but all that was left was a bloody stump. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I've never played it. I'm just saying things. I know you, you, you're, you're happy Halloween, everyone (laughs) coming up. All right. So yeah, uh, nice segue there. Uh, let's talk about horror. Uh, Let's do at least our particular favorite kind. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I uh, what's hot with us right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, those of you listening to the actual play podcast know that I'm a big fan of architectural horror, especially through my, uh, Carcosa games, like uh, games like night clerk, uh, and, uh, night, night mall. Was yeah. Night, the mall. Yeah. Night shift. Night shift. Yeah. Uh, and some of these other games, uh, where, or the construct and, uh, these other games where it's more about the place. And recently I read a novel from the British writer, JG Ballard called high rise. High rise is considered one of his, you know, masterpiece novels. And Ballard's got a, you know, a long written dozens of novels. And, you know, he wrote stuff that you've heard of like oh, yeah. crash, which was directed by Cronenberg, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, people getting off on car crashes, uh, sexually speaking. And uh, let's see, Empire of the Sun, which is about him growing up as a kid in Jap- uh, Japanese-occupied Shanghai uh, yeah. and that kind of thing. And anyways, but in High Rise, it uh, takes place in this uh, luxury condominium in London uh, in the 1960s. And there's like three groups of people who move in them. They're all well-to-do, like... The bottom levels are taken up by families and airline pilots and kind of, you know, respectable upper middle class professions. Right. Second middle section is taken up by the professionals, the doctors and lawyers and whatnot. And then the upper upper floors are taken up by the celebrities and, you know, business executives and whatnot. And the, this uh, condominium has stores in it. You know, you could you could live your entire life in that building. You would never have to leave. Uh, except to go to work. And uh, what happens is talks about how it, the novel basically is about the generation of this high rise as the people start turning on each other gradually. You know, at first it's rather minor parties get out of hand on the balconies. Uh, you know, someone kills a dog that gets into a swimming pool during a brief blackout. Uh, and, but then it starts getting worse and worse until it's fucking Lord of the Flies and shit. They just everyone just goes batshit insane. And for me, it was interesting because obviously it's like, holy shit, I love this shit. I'm going to throw this mm. into Carcosa <laughs> at some point. But what I really made me realize the, the the horror was about how the place, the architecture drove like influenced people. It was like a mythos tome. It was like the mm. Necronomicon. It just corrupted everyone around it. And that's kind of like how I view this architectural horror. And especially you look at the modernist, uh, you know, brutalist architecture uh, or, you know, very banal uh, infrastructure that we need everywhere. Stuff like, you know, fucking airports, you know, they're just like, Mm -hmm. God damn, aren't they evil? They are a little bit evil. Just like casinos. Well, yeah, casinos, because they, you know, they're designed to keep you in. Yeah, to keep you in. Yeah. And so for me, it's about. That, so that's what's interests me about this architecture as horror because of how of it, it it influences people. So for me, that my big takeaway for that is think of the architecture in architectural horror as like the corrupting. Think of it as like the Necronomicon or a mythos tome or artifact that it just has some sort of profound effect or you like, know unnatural effect on people. Ooh, like yeah. remember that that uh, there was the that Hungarian movie Control set mm-hmm. in the subways. Yeah. Like a guy who basically hasn't left the subway in like a month. Right. 
And, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I remember because that movie literally opens him sleeping on the floor of, like, the platform mm. and just, like, on fucking hard ground. He just wakes up. And it's like, holy shit. Yeah, that's 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 not good. And, and the guy's his job is to check to make sure people are, have paid to get on the subway. Yeah, but it's you're like, but yeah, he it says in the movie like, it's been like six weeks since he's been since he's left the subway. Yeah, and it affects him. Yeah, it does. It does. And so the, there there are many ways to implement. It. You know, often what I do is it's not the the sole thing that does this, but I mean, I'd like to hear your thoughts on architectural horror, like in terms of like. Uh, is it something you think of in terms of the, like, when you're running games, horror games, do you think of the place or do you think, you know, like, what are your thoughts? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I often do. I mean, obviously, I, my, most of my horror games are, involve, you know, monsters. That's just kind of how I roll. Right. But yeah, it's, it, but it usually, it's usually a combination of a monster and a place. Or the way I usually, and I, of course, I think of a lot about the place. Yeah. You know, like I've done, I've, I, I've done uh, country clubs mm-hmm. where I've, yeah, I, I, I do like. Well, well, okay, so like in the game, the country club, like, mm-hmm. um, what about the country club did you use to emphasize the horror in your game? Well, for I tried, I, I, I like to emphasize the, because um, you know, my grandparents have belonged to a country club for years, and I often went there. Yeah, and it's you know, it always it's. It's kind of like a place stuck out of time, which was mm. like kind of like, it's like it's like luxury, but it's a lug it's luxury of the time it was built because all country clubs seem to not want to leave the decade they were constructed. That's a really good insight. Yeah, they're yeah. anachronistic, like, and that's part of the appeal, right? They mm-hmm. never they had the money to modernize to yes, to change but they never it. did. But they because they didn't want to, right? Yeah, like uh, part like, of their appeal. like one I kept going to was built in the forties, mm-hmm. and it's every place every. Every the bar, the dining room, mm. I mean, the lounge was the only like modern place. It's the only place where I suddenly felt like I stepped into the twenty twenty first century <laughs> because it had you know like plasma screens to, for guy for younger people. This were it's where all the younger people that joined up went right, so they could watch the game between golf. So there's kind of a segregation segregative effect. Uh, yeah. segregative is that even yeah? A word? And it was actually another thing I noticed. Like, it's like the people. Yeah. You know, like the old guard, like my grandparents who joined, right? They preferred to eat in the dining room. Mm-hmm. They and they still dressed up. I mean, the dress code has really been dropped because it, they yeah. have to get new people in, and yeah. young people want to wear shorts and sandals. <laughs> yeah, but they still dress up even when they were playing golf. They like to keep to the old dining room. Yeah, yeah, and they all and they com- constantly complained about all the the modern stuff that was being added. I see. So it's like the 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 decor of the place was kind of like a visible uh, delineation of the the generational mm-hmm. struggle. The the lounge belonging to the young upstarts, the the dining room yeah, belonging like, to the older. It's like you know, like you know, like you walk through the 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 locker rooms. Yeah, it's you know they're like it's like mahogany polished, mahogany, every, mahogany everywhere. <laughs> you know, it still it still has like it. It's carpet that you would see in like the Flamingo in 1939. In the locker room had carpet? Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, and like the bathrooms still had like excellent woodwork and everything. And there was there was a shoe shine stand. Yeah. I'm talking like with uh, with like you know brass like a brass where you put your feet oh, up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they actually had a guy in a tuxedo. Tuxedo, wow. Uh-huh. That seems a little much for shoe shining. Yeah, that's the locker room. And it's every place was like that. It was all just 
you know, every it's like it, it smelled like I don't know. It smelled <laughs> like the '40s, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I do. I've been in antique stores. I know what you mean. But it's like, of course, it's like you cross the threshold into the lounge. Yeah. And suddenly, it, it's like the, a spell suddenly broke. <laughs> wow, that's, uh, that's so. I, I, I like to. I use that actually in a game where okay. I had it was like a a a. a I had a. I even kind of forget the monster, but it was a monster in a. It was in a country club, mm-hmm. and it was. I think it was. It was kind of a uh, like poltergeist possessing ghost. Okay, but it actually. But it lived. It was like a ghost from the forties. So and it. It needed. It basically needed. It didn't. It needed to feel like it was still the time it felt like it needed yeah. to be. I got you. So that's one time. One. That's or one big way. Hat. Mm-hmm. Big hat. You know. <laughs> Said ought instead of should. Yes. Um, that's actually something. I've, sorry, I read an article. Totally aside, talk, read an article talking about how Mad Men and like someone pointed out that Mad Men. You know, they spend all this incredible amount of money and time to make it period authentic. But the dialogue isn't period authentic because back in the 50s and even from the 60s and early, like um, when you're talking about uh, something a person is obligated to do, uh, a man in the 40s to 60s, a man-man period would say, I ought to do this. Uh, I ought to write a, you know, uh, but now people say I should, you Mm -hmm. know, so there's like a difference in language. So anyway, sorry. And also like, and all drinks, like. The drinks were actually called, you know, some drinks have their, you know, certain cocktails. Their yeah. names have updated. Sure. They all, they always use the old form version of them at the I bar. Gotcha. So uh, yeah, because architecture isn't just about you know the building itself. It's also about the decoration, the the feel of the it, employees, and sometimes the menu and stuff like that. Yeah, everything, everything about it is all sort of related and how this this feels. And so what you have is the story of like this place that is built in a time period you have, it has to serve this conservative clientele that needs certain needs, but they're trying to somehow bridge the gap between mm, the forties and because the now. Because the, the owners realize, yep. Yeah. It's like, yes. They're old. They're old money, but they're old. Yeah. They're, they're eventually being no more. Uh, so, that's really cool. So, um, did you bring a lot of details about the architecture? Did oh, yeah. you like? Did you mention the lounge and the? Yeah, actually, well, I used that. I used the the country. I'm not going to mention its name. Well, sure. But I I used the layout of that place as as the. Um, and that's a really good idea using the real life architecture mm-hmm. or design of a place if you're familiar with it. Like, did you use the the difference of the lounge versus the dining room? Yeah, I actually kind of I, yeah, I I emphasize like walking into the lounge. It was mm-hmm. kind of like it's. It's like all of I didn't. It was subtle, but you all, you all kind of just do like a quick take, like you know, a quick shake of the head, like yeah. some, like you were thinking about something, but yeah. you forgot what it was. And but then, and then when you walk back, you can, you know, it kind of hits you again. Yeah, yeah. I, I use I use that a lot. I kind of actually had that like the lounge was the safe area. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah, you're very much on the side of the 21st century, not the 40s. So mm-hmm. like the idea, so the whole scenario, sort of metaphor for fighting yeah. against the past. Okay, I, I remember now. Actually, it was you know, is people like people were going missing in this country. I remember it now. I ran yeah. this game like eight years ago. I it's yeah, people were disappearing and they were coming in to you know investigate it and all the all the this the all the disappearances seem to have happened like like staff working overnight. Yeah. So they stay there overnight and. The place, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of like kind of like the the uh, the Shining. Yeah, it's where uh, you know the place you start hearing part. It was like parties were going on. Oh yeah, I love that. Yeah, kind of a thing. 
and it's more like the more like it's trying to draw you into the the forties. Okay, so it's very yeah, very shining esque. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, I like that. Yeah, the shining the the Kubrick film version especially is really mm-hmm. architectural horror. You know, uh, yeah, really emphasizes that. So like, uh, just a quick aside for myself, by the way. Now I I actually watched the St- Stanley Kubrick's The Shining and yeah. the miniseries they did. Yeah, and while I thought. The guy played did Jack Torrance, the father, better in the miniseries. Everything else was Kubrick was far superior. Because, oh yeah, yeah. I I didn't realize that the miniseries was so boring. <laughs> like holy Christ, it's it's like ninety percent just talking. Yeah. Nothing happens. Well, they're trying to do like the 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 yeah, Kubrick the, version condenses, like it cuts, it yeah, excises, it, it's concise, and then like. Miniseries, and the fact not that, so yeah, much. Yeah, and all, it's Halloween, so I think this is real. I have to do it. Sure. Yeah, like, okay, you know, uh, what's his invis- his imaginary friend's name? Uh, Danny's? Yeah, Danny's. Uh, the, kid, the one that he's the thumb that oh he has God, his finger. I can't remember. It's it's, been, but you know, the, he, his, invis- his imaginary friend, yeah. Who he, he, you never see him. It's just Danny talking to him in yeah. the Kubrick one. In the miniseries, they show this guy badly CG floating in the air. Ooh. Yeah, it it made the Cardinal sin. It wasn't scary. Yeah, at least you know Kubrick. I know Stephen King didn't like it, but I don't can't believe he liked the miniseries either. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Son of a bitch. I mean, yeah, like Kubrick kind of you know, like did his own thing. He just had his own views on that's that. That's Kubrick, though. Yeah, that's <laughs> Kubrick. He fucking you can do whatever the fuck he wanted to because he was like, Kubrick. You could literally just say, "I'm standing the Kubrick, bitch." <laughs> yeah, um, but sorry that, but yeah, no, that's that's, a, that's, no, that's, that's, the, that's the game that most stands out in my mind where I really tried to use the architecture. Yeah. And uh, I mean, and that's a perfect example. That's the kind of thing like uh, architecture is obviously. You kind of have to consciously make it a major element. I mean, like if you want to, if you want to do that, it's not like you have to always integrate architecture or like the idea but of architecture. I think, it, but it, it depends it, if it's going to be an pro. It's good, if it's going to be a major part of your game. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly. Uh, then you have to think about it and think about like what influence this place has. Like in High Rise, it's pretty obvious. It just caused class divisions which it caused mm-hmm. uh, isolation the people in high rise were all cut it felt cut off from london and they kept retreating into their own world and they stopped leaving the building spoiler alerts yeah whatever it's a 60 year old novel or 40 50 years old so fucking deal with it um so like there's that and in the hotel or the country club i'm sorry you have the the, divi- the clear division between that so you think about like what kind of division so you feel like people from whatever generation were felt out of place in the other generations, mm. part of the, the country club. Yeah. So you have that kind of, so you feel So think about what kind of influence, because architecture does have an influence on how we perceive space and how we perceive our environment, mm-hmm. um, obviously. And, um, you simple, you know, um, like a lot of the things talking about like the green zone back in Iraq during the war was how they made all made it into this armored bunker that would, but they still had all the creature comforts. So the people they were working there felt, you know, like they were in a fucking shopping mall in, uh, you know, somewhere in Missouri. Middle America. Or, yeah, yeah. Middle, middle America, America. Uh, which was insane. Cause they were literally surrounded by lots of people who wanted to kill them. Yeah. But Ooh, another one, like it's, I didn't make a game, but I totally should. Yeah. When I was about, Eight years old. Yeah, I went to my I went to work with my my stepdad. 
then was the manager of this big warehouse downtown. Yeah. It's where uh, Jordan Valley is now. Yeah. And he took me to work there one day, and <sighs> he was kind of a really irresponsible stepfather. So he just basically just turned me loose on this gigantic warehouse. <laughs> and there, imagine an eight-year-old kid is wandering these, these endless corridors of boxes and shit. Yeah. And what was uh, cooler, he... And of course, you know, the staff, I was a little kid, they were telling me stories like, oh, yeah, that elevator, yeah, someone died in that elevator. <laughs> he was trying, yeah, he was trying to fix it and it basically crushed him. <laughs> so, and and the thing is, though, like, oh, like there were actually blood stains still there. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And of course, you know, they said, you know, okay, don't go upstairs. Of course, he said it with all the force of, don't go upstairs, okay? Yeah. So, of course, I did. And, you know, the ground floor was all the stuff that this place actually sold. The, the upper floor was all the private stuff that belonged to uh, the owner. Yeah. So there was like vin- there was like vintage cars with tarps over them. There was a collection of army sabers, and I was there was I was all alone just messing with all this shit. <laughs> I suddenly is just thinking about it like oh my god, there's so much I could do in a place like that. Yeah. Now. Um, yeah, and then there's that 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 sense. But, yeah. But is it where it was just a sense of unending. Yeah. Like this building, I walked for hours and felt like I didn't hit the same place twice. Yeah, the sense of scale, like mm-hmm. compare your eight-year-old self versus the size of the building, uh, and that promotes certain feelings. So, like in the green zone, like the people mm-hmm. there would have felt like I would sense a little bit of cognitive dissonance, a little delusional belief because they felt like, like well, here's a cinnabon, but we could get shelled. At- yeah, but that's the thing is they would ignore the shelling part. Like, yeah, we're fine. It's fine. Safe. It's, it's fine. fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, one another architectural thing, uh, uh, recently read, you know, uh, brutalism is a style that was very popular in the 50s through the 70s. Um, but it was a lot created, lionized by this architect, Le Courbrasseur. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Uh, you've seen the buildings, like, you know, how in MSU, Missouri State University, all those big, ugly concrete buildings, like they're pretty old mm-hmm. and just look like they're fucking Cold War or like Soviet built bunkers or whatever. Soviet state housing buildings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've seen those. That's brutalism. Mm-hmm. And brutalism was hugely popular among academics and architects in the 50s to the 70s. The arch- architects are just as susceptible to fads as anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> as a fashion industry. Um, and the thing is, the reason why there's so many brutalist, there the brutalist buildings are like fucking everywhere on college campuses around the country, around the world, because during that time period, they academics were highly placed on the committees that like, yes, we will build this building. This architect will win the contract to build this building for our campus. And guess what? They all love brutalism. So like, yes, we'll build brutalism. Yay. yay. Yeah. Uh, even though everyone else fucking hates brutalism because they look ugly as shit, you know, mm-hmm. like nobody else likes it. Nobody likes bare concrete walls. It looks like it's, you know, Soviet state housing and not yeah. like a building you can like, Oh, I'm going to class here. Yeah. yeah. That's why I, I was in Boston recently. Yeah. And I love what I love there is like you kept seeing like, you know, there's like, you know, modern high rises here, here. And then there there's a pub built in 1750. Right. Between these two. Sky, right. It's, it's organic. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. sprawl in the unintended side effects. Um, you know, if you're thinking about like how architecture can influence a game, like a lot of these first person shooter games or games of these like, you know, um, it's very common. I, there, I feel like there should be a genre name for these, but like. Bioshock or, you know, fear or pretty much any or dead space anywhere. You're like, you walk into this place, this lab or building or whatever. Everything's everyone's dead. There's just monsters and you find notebooks and shit like, oh, here's this blah, 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 blah. Um, you can look and see how 
hey, they've they, the building was here, but they set up barricades here and shit mm-hmm. like that. And so that creates a sense of paranoia for you. It creates a sense of history. You know, when you go through Boston, like, oh, shit, we can see the then and the now. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, in Boston, you can see, holy shit, the French d- never could figure out how to lay out a fucking uh, city street network. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to New York. Like, hey, a grid system. Well, I those in Boston, like, it seemed like they wanted to have, like, we have lots of town squares. Yeah. Because we, because they're like, no, we want this to be the town square. <sighs> so there's, like, lots of, like, just... Yeah. Mini squares. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just think about like what kind of influence you want architecture to have in your game. Do you want to emphasize a particular emotion like, you know, a sense of wonder or awe, then sense of scale. Then you have giant ass things like an endless warehouse yeah. full of mysterious goodies. You're like, oh, wow. Or oh, mass airport terminals, too. Uh, yeah. Then you that's a sense of like feeling lost, feeling mm-hmm. insignificant, feeling, oh, God. Yeah. Um, Actually, uh, I think our, our being own trapped da- in a Greek hell. Our yeah. own downtown Springfield has one like the HERS building. Yeah. Because they've so redone the square, but there's still that one building on the square that is yeah. boarded up. Just crumbling, yeah, kind of ominous, yeah. And it's and you keep thinking about it. It's been this way for years. I mean, decades. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like the city can somehow revamp and restore everything around here, but that. Why? Yeah. And I just want to think like, no one's been like, I, like just what's it like to actually walk in there now? <laughs> I keep wondering. Yeah. So you yeah, can't. You so, can't. So think about how you want architecture to affect your game. If you want. Uh, so the way you d- describe rooms or buildings mm-hmm. in your games or areas, yeah, or even the ground, I think the yeah. grounds on certain places. Yeah, of course. Like, uh, like the federal medical center, it has yeah. a, it's a huge sprawling property. Yeah. And you can say it's like, and then you see this building off in the distance. Yeah. It, it's almost like, it's almost, it's kind of, I've actually kind of seen you know, the, the drive, the drive up to Buckingham palace. Yeah. So essentially, you can see the building like half a mile away. Sure, it's the same thing with the medical center. It's like yeah. you see this building with like razor wire, you know, half yeah. a mile away. So you get that sense of foreboding from yeah. it, you know. And it's kind of and the placing this immaculately kept lawn with very nice trees. It's almost like a fucking park uh, in front of it. You know, kind of in, increases the incongruity between like, oh, this is this is nice lawn, these nice trees, and it's like, oh, why does that have Razor wire over and that. why are there guard towers? And- yeah, hmm, something that's all right. So that's some stuff to think about with architecture and games, and specifically horror, but any type of game. Uh, architecture is more important in some games than others. Obviously, very important in horror, mm-hmm. certain types of horror, and dungeon crawling. Obviously, because that's the whole fucking yeah. point. But uh, it can it can help, and it's it's a way to sort of un- help the theme or the tone of a game, or to increase. You know, fuck with players' heads, because uh, that's what Carcosa games are all about. Mm-hmm. Fuck with your heads. Um, so yeah. just some stuff to think about. But anyways. Um, the other one. Well, let's. Well, you know, one of the, the segue, uh, there was a game we ran a while ago called Invasive Procedures. Yes, set in a hospital, and it featured both architectural horror and, and body, body horror. horror. The yeah. architectural horror being like, there's this, this old hospital. Uh, and there's something about old hospitals. They are fucking 10 on the, 8 or 8 to a 10 on the on the creepy scale yeah. of creepy buildings. Um and you guys had to sneak into the abandoned. There's a whole abandoned wing of the hospital, and there were like rooms, hidden rooms in the yard. The building, the room, the 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 building seemed to change at night, and it was just like ah. You guys like eh. yeah, and weird like, ah. skittering sounds yeah. in the hallways. But that was that was just kind of a minor component. The the real crown of that thing was body horror. So body horror, Tom. Why don't you talk about? Well, once again, as I said. 
my like my hero on the subject, the one who introduced me to it, if you will, David Cronenberg. I think he made some of the best movies ever on the subject. What was the one that introduced you to him? The Fly. The Fly. All mm-hmm. right. The 1980s remake. Yes. And it, I mean, actually, I've seen I've seen the 50s version. Not for a 50s movie, it's pretty freaky. Not bad. But it was the yeah, it was the Jeff Goldblum, David Cronenberg uh, Fly that first introduced me to it. Yeah. And I was just like, I couldn't take my. I was like. Got a little kid. Once again, totally irresponsible parents back then. <laughs> let me watch stuff like that. And uh, it's so parents, uh, just advice: don't let your kids watch The Fly, or they'll turn out like Tom. Yep. You're- you do not want that. <laughs> but uh, then, so I checked out his other stuff, and you know there was um, the Nightbreed. Yeah, which would not involved a lot. Some of that was that Cronenberg directed. Yeah, okay. no, no, Cron- no, sorry, but no, Cronenberg was starred in that. Uh huh. He was actually the villain. Oh, okay. But um, also, he did. Uh, there was Videodrome. Yeah, that's yeah, a, that's a pretty it, famous one. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I remember. All Videodrome. hail the new flesh. Yes, all hail the new flesh. Uh, but it's I kind of I like I like that thing because it's I like the idea of something. Not even, not even, you know, horrible, but just something unnatural happening to you, right? And it's, and like it's, it's, and that person's reaction to it, right? Which I, I kind of like in the, you know, that's why I like the the fly, which I think is so perfect because when it's first happening, he's like terrified, yeah. Then it starts kind of affecting him, and he becomes fascinated by it, yeah. And then starts keeping a museum to it, which is just all based all the parts that felt have fallen off of him. He's saving, yeah. Fucked up, um, yeah. <laughs> one thing I find so like uh, going back to invasive procedures mm-hmm. um, it was the uh, was the, 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 doc- eye, the eye and the hand right yeah well don't spoil it don't spoil it I'm just, okay I'm just, I'm just trying, part I'm, of it that's involved. me trying to remind right. myself well the part of it that uh, is relevant is body horror is about you know things that happen to your body without your consent like things that are transforming mm-hmm. mutating you know that's the kind of the and definition. they're helpful but Terrifying at the same time. Well, not always helpful. In fact, not always of, helpful. Not always helpful. In fact, a lot of times they're not helpful at all. But sometimes, even even in the best case scenario, it hurts just as much as it mm-hmm. helps. And in uh, the, the invasive procedures, you listen, the pl- players are operated on by monstrous doctors. You know, and that's the core horror of the game. I'm sorry, that's that's kind of a spoiler alert, but that happens early on in the scenario. Mm-hmm. And the players don't really. And the thing is, the way the scenario is written. It's going to happen. Like yeah, the players can't stop it. The, the some at least one of the players is going to get operated on, um, and more likely more than one. And there's n- and the thing is that's kind of in a way the worst possible railroading. Like it, there's railroading, there's railroading, you know. And the one that players almost always instinctively hate are the ones that like something really bad happens to the character, and there's nothing they can do they could have done to stop it. Because like players always think that they have control over their fate. There's this really this, I think this heart set idea that players can control whatever happens to the character or something bad happens to the characters because the dice, the The dice dice failed them. Well, almost always they always blame it on the dice. It's never their decision, but Mm -hmm. even sometimes then, Oh, well, at least I, I chose to do that. I chose to stick my hand in the sphere of annihilation just on a bet. So yeah, I guess I deserve that. But most of the time it's the dice. It's not my fault. And they just hate the fact that something bad can happen to them without any choice. That That's very – some players are better than others, but I, I don't have any players like, oh, boy, I get to lose control of my character and something bad happens to them. There's nothing I got to know about it. Yay! Yeah. So 
I, I the only reason I, I knew I was comfortable running invasive procedures because I know the RPPR group and I know you guys would grumbled about it and you did uh, at least some of the players did but that you still you didn't quit the game over it yeah but not every game master has that level of trust with the players and I don't know Tom what do what do you do for that well most of the time when I do body horror it's something that yeah, I, I kind of I try to d- design it where it just where it happened. If it's like if I need it to happen to their characters, because that's the whole story. I usually I have it where I try to work it where it, it doesn't it doesn't bother them as much. Yeah, which I kind of like. That's why I I'm a big fan of in my case like the virus because it's the airborne virus because what can you do to defend yourself against that? Wear a hazmat suit. Essentially, yeah, but if you don't have, I would have worn my hazmat suit. My character always wears a hazmat suit. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Why are you killer GM, Tom? Exactly. But you know, I think and no, but, but like, what do you do to someone who says that? Well, I would say, well, at that if it's, my character's immune to disease, I'm resistant. Why didn't I get a saving throw against that? Mm-hmm. Essentially, like when I do, like, if they start doing that, yeah, uh, it's like 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 well, I'd be wearing my hazmat suit. Why? I'm cautious. I'm in an unknown environment. Why wouldn't I? And see, that's why then I make it. A, I make it a known environment when I start it. Oh, uh, okay. And basically, you know, it's kind of like it's it's already been re- in case of a virus, it's already been released, and by the time the players heard about it, I can just say it's already spread across the city. Why didn't I get a saving throw against it? Like, in that, well, in that case, I would say like, well, you didn't make one. Why can't? Why? Why not? Why do you hate my character? Why are you against me? Why mm-hmm. just kill me? And, I, and, the, I and that's it. And first of all, bye. <laughs> so if you're like that, like, I don't need you. I don't need this shit. Go. Um, but also, like, I'm playing with a group yeah. that I know, first of all, won't do that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's key. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, and I mean, that that kind of level of resistance isn't always that. Sometimes it's more passive. Sometimes it's, it's like, fine, whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they kind of check out of the game. What do you do about that? I mean. Well, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, have you encountered that? I mean, yeah, and not honestly, not so much. Usually, it's when I play with people I've never played with before. Right. But no, it's most of the time I run it with group people that I know. It's it's never been a problem. Okay. So honestly, I've had to deal with it maybe once or twice, and at that point, it's pretty much just go. Well, the rest of you were in it, right? Yeah. Like if one person kind of checks out, like, all right, fine, you go read something. We're <laughs> we're going to be doing this. Okay. Um. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, think that's yeah, the biggest yeah. problem. The body horror is if it's happening to. And I also think it sometimes it's better if it's happening to everybody. So you, that okay? So you, you have rules about doing mm-hmm. body horror games. So like that's one of them. Like every it happens to everybody. It's not like invasive procedures where it's like PC one and maybe mm-hmm. one or two others. Yeah, because I, I actually think a, a, and a really good way to do that is I, I the uh, <coughs> the zombie virus, which mm-hmm. is something I've used before. Sure, because I. Because it's something that can easily happen, right? And it's something like the player. It's kind of it's just natural to that kind of setting, you know. So player, you know, players are used to just having that in zombie stories, right? So I think it's yeah. I also try, I try so I try to make the scenario familiar. Okay, so that's your second rule. Mm-hmm. So I try to make it familiar. Keep it keep it to everybody. Um, how far do you have limits and like how far you'll go? Like. Do you just say, yeah, your skin's inside out, you're orange, you're 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 leaking everything, you're just just hor- you know, just mate, you're basically remember have you watched the end of Akira? You know, like mm-hmm. hey, like do you get that like are there 
cutoff limits for how far you'll go? Uh, most, yeah, most of the time, it's uh, I have the end. I, I have the end point of what the final product of your of the horror is. Right. And I usually I usually have it where it's pretty. It's not that hard to determine what makes what can slow it down, what speeds right. it up. Like in a lot of cases, I'll have you know the more stre- strenuous things you do. Like, you know, the, you know, the more it seems to take it. So if you kind of just actually faster heart rate, but if, yeah, so if you kind of actually do what a lot of doctors tell you, like try to take it easy. Right. So, it, well, I mean like how far will you like, how much body horror will you go? Like how, how monster you just say like you lose, you're just in con, you know, like you read some like Clive Barker, for example, there's like some really bad things happen to the bar, you know, like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, my tumors are growing out of me and they're turning into monsters and they're eating me and blah, 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 blah. I generally, I like, generally, how far, how much body horror do you, do you see? What I'm yeah, saying? no, it's, it depends. Most of the time it's, you know, uh, like you will become a monster and then probably, and probably, and you know, then Try to atta- attack your friends. Do you so you, so that so it's basically kind of a specific thing. Not like, um, I mean, for me, like, yeah, like there's the body horror. Well, actually, loose, a, yeah. a good example, Divine Fire. Yeah. In that case, it's just it's you know alien radiation. Yeah. With so it's and it's really and so at that point it's just the more longer you stay on this base, right. the worse you're going to get until event. In that case, I like so yeah, you, using Call of Cthulhu, be, you start losing sanity. Right. Sanity and or constitution points, whichever drops to zero. Right. First. That, that's similar to like the mechanics they have for the color out of space when mm-hmm. that, that affects you. Um, but like the end result is basically you're you're you turn into this thing and you're basically dead. Like, I mean, in terms mm-hmm. of player care, you roll up a new character. Yeah, basically. Um, so so in terms of game mechanics, that's kind of what you go to from player full 100 percent player character to zero percent player character. And so most of the time. Okay. Sometimes I do vary it up. Okay, like what happened? Like I did a uh, actually I did a uh, a post nuclear game kind of yeah fall it was uh, around the time of Fallout Two I think yeah kind of so back in the late nineties sure and uh, I did one where um, it was possible to get this you know kind of a ghoulifying flesh eating virus yeah where it's you know the more it happens you eventually like you can <coughs> I mean where if it fully takes effect and you fully succumb to it yeah you can continue as a character but now. You become a ghoul, and your life is now much more difficult and complicated. Or and and your character is at at a very bad disadvantage. Okay, so all right, so you kind of hobble a character. Mm -hmm. Uh, The same, yeah. Like in the case of a ghoul, like I gave I gave them a few advantages. Like sure, like you're gonna like. Well, they balance out. Yeah, it's eh, no, it did not. It does not balance out. Okay. It's I still try to make it where it's still really bad for you. In the case, like yeah, you're probably gonna live forever now, unless you get shot. Unless you get shot. And in the case of Google, like, and hey, you're immune to radiation. You're also going to be a complete social outcast. You're right. weaker. And you now have the ever-present threat in your mind of going feral. Yeah. Because they, you, know, you, don't know, you don't know if that's going to happen to you or not. So, okay. So, you, so yeah. I mean, that's a, the, these are good examples because they kind of like embody horror. These are the kind of things you have to think about. Like, one, how you introduce it. And two... Um, what effect it's going to have on the player character, the character, like the stat sheet, like mm-hmm. do you, is the end result roll up a new character or is the end result a hobbled character? It's not, it, Cause really for body horror, it has to be one or the other. Yeah. Cause even, cause it has to, if it's, if it's a, a net positive, it's, it's not, not re- horror. It's yeah, not horror. Yeah, exactly. It's just transformation, uh, which 
I still like, but that's we're not. Yeah, that's not horror though. Right. So I I, I do make it has to be one of those things. Either roll up a new character or, well, you're I got to make some changes and they're going to be bad. Right. So. In some ways, like the the rolling but new character, that's no different than you know dealing uh, with getting shot dead. Yeah, death traps, mo- yeah, monster, any other lethal challenge. So this is the only difference is instead of a corpse, now your play- the players around you are going to have you now have to deal with this before it kills you. Right. And then of course there you have to think about the timing. Like some body horrors, you could like mutate into something in a minute or a few seconds. Mm-hmm. Like the zombie virus, like if you get bitten, you turn it within minutes. Usually in most yeah. in most settings. Or in the other case, it's a slow, gradual thing. Yeah, it's, if it is it long enough, like oh, is he going to turn? Ooh, ooh, what are we going to do? They, if there's pl- or you know, recognizing the the symptoms. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, that that's kind of the so from a game perspective, you have to think about how you want to deal with that. So if you want to make the game, if if you kind of want to have body horror to be sort of a minor thing, actually, the lethal thing makes more sense because that's just another threat mm-hmm. and you kind of like yeah you turn into a mindless monster roll up a new character you know or you turned up into a you know a, you you've you succumb to this you're a zombie blah 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 blah. players mm-hmm. have to shoot you um but it's, if you it's honestly it's kind of like uh you know the it's like you know the deep ones and yeah well that was a more gradual thing and that's more like if you wanted more emphasis on body horror is having a, a longer yeah, that, activation. I, I, I think so. I think that's a good. That's a good example of the long term. Yeah. So that's if you want to make the primary theme of your game body horror or mm-hmm. an important theme, uh, you have a long activation time and make sure the players are aware of it early on. You know, like oh god, scales on web fingers. That's not good. Uh, I'll cut them out. Oh god, I take damage. I lose a point of dex. That sucks. Um, so th- yeah. those are things to think about. And yeah, I kind of think uh, like. Yeah, District Nine is another great example of it. I think too. Yeah, there's definitely a body horror uh, uh, element to that, and it's something to think about. Like, what do I do? How do I how do I deal with these kind of issues? Um, and so uh, the main thing is also what's scarier? Uh, is it physical transformation, like becoming a monster but retaining your mind, or? losing your mind like becoming an animal like you know is are you becoming a zombie or are you yeah. becoming a werewolf and to me my opinion yeah to me it's the mental part that's i think scarier okay because now is it like losing your mind altogether or well, like becoming an alien thing like having different impulses or whatever like okay yeah the zombie okay, versus werewolf okay i've explored a lot of that stuff and um to me i i think to me the most horrible would be Losing control, but actually still remaining conscious. Mm-hmm. You know that I've there's been a, I've had a I've read a few uh, read a few books and and uh, some movies where you know, like a guy becomes a monster that just goes on a rampage. Yeah, but he's still conscious and aware, but trapped in his body now. So he's aware of everything he does. Right. But to me, I think to me it's um, having your mindset change isn't to me isn't isn't as horrible as just. And it just going like going having your mind reduced to the level right. of an animal, right? That to me, I think is worse. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like the lobotomy fear. You mm-hmm. know, the the loss of all identity, the mental thing seems to be worse than the physical transfer. I mean, both are horrific. So, I mean, so you kind of have to think about your players. What's worse? Is it yeah. the physical trans loss of your body or loss of because your mind? If, if I'm using District Nine again, that's yeah. an example of he completely becomes an alien in the end, but yeah. he he's still the same person. Right. So, uh, and so that, there's a note of hope at the end. Yeah. There's, I think that to me, that, that denotes like, yeah, okay. He's now an alien. He fully in an alien body, but his mind is unaltered. Right. So I, uh, to me, that's, 
Actually, kind of an, that's well. It is altered. I think. I mean, like he's he has cravings for cat food and all that other shit. But yeah, so. that's kind of like that. That's but that's just kind of you know he has different some different some instincts and some different cravings. But yeah. inside, he's still the same man. Yeah. Still making little metal things for his wife. So I think I mean that that's kind of like the the I, I, actually I think the most horrific thing is in a clean is not a clean transformation one mm. way or the other. It's halfway for both. Yeah. To where you lose, you're just sane enough to know what's happened to you, but you can't do much else, and you're just, you know, stuck in between things. So it's like, you know, a butterfly, uh, uh, you know, a larva, you know, turns into a butterfly. But if he got stuck halfway through, that would be the worst, you know, mm-hmm. like either he's a little uh, worm thing or he's a you know, half of his mind is still telling him how to crawl along on legs. Yeah. Another half of his mind's telling him that how he's supposed to be flying. Yeah. But he really can't do either one. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's, I think that the half state, neither one thing or the other would be the, the most horrific. So if you really want to punish your players, you know, just like mm-hmm. half a zombie and you stabilize there, you're not quite one or the other. Uh, so you have, you want to eat flesh, but it won't satiate you. Uh, food tastes like garbage, but you need it to not die. And you're, you're just sane enough to know what you are. And you, you look too much like a zombie to integrate human society. Good luck. <laughs> you know? So, uh, so something like that. Um, all the disadvantages, none of the advantages, or a few of the advantages, and so these are some things to think about when doing body horror. Um, I mean, like, yeah, invasive procedure was was kind of hard because I know, like, when I was running it, it was really problematic. Like, I mean, that's another thing you think about. Yeah, I mean, you said mm-hmm. like, let's do all the players at once. And that's a good, that's a fair way of doing it. Especially mm-hmm. if you want to do like, let's do a body horror scenario. Hey, you all got exposed to this thing. You're all changing. What do you do? Uh, that's kind of like what divine fire was. Right. Or yeah. Uh, or any of those zombie infection scenarios mm-hmm. or whatever else. But then there is the invasive procedures where somebody gets changed and the other players aren't changed. And then there's that sense of paranoia. Are you one of us? Are you mm-hmm. what? what and I think that works. And I think if you're going to do one or two players, yeah, I think it's like you know, I kind of it's I actually kind of think it works fine. Just you know, don't tell them ahead of time. Yeah, no, you can't tell them like that. If everyone's going to turn, then yeah, you tell them mm-hmm. because that shit would, would be obvious. But like if it's one player, then you kind of just yeah. I mean that 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 gets with like dealing with player knowledge, player versus character knowledge, and that kind of thing, and that that's kind of hard. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, but that's something to think about when you're running body horror. But what do you want to do? do I think you, I think it's another example of you need synergy with the GM and the players. Oh yeah, to do it. Yeah, definitely. You actually body horror. Body horror is not something I would recommend if you're new to gaming. If you're new to yeah. running games, if, I will say, or, yeah, or like, if your players. But are. like I've done this a couple of times at Gen Con games that I've run. Yeah, I've yeah. done body horror, and usually that the players go along just go along great with it. Mm-hmm. Well, know? I mean, there, it's kind of ever like. Did you did the the scenario write up you gave have a kind of warning about it like saying blah blah blah? Um, it was divine fire, but and I but I mentioned like something horrible is happening this base, but I didn't specify what. Right. What well, is called Cthulhu too? So mm. um, that's kind and of, of course and uh, the, when I all started when I said all of all right uh, all of you need to make con times four rolls right and I didn't tell them why right I think that I think it's like they're like eh, all right yeah, some yeah their brains up. locked onto that. Yeah. So they knew and experienced players, as you, for some reason, get at gaming <laughs> conventions. <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, I think they're pretty well trained. They know what's. They know like uh, ah, all right. Ah, 
So yeah, that's that's a, that's a good point. But like, but yeah, it's I think it's definitely with new players. Like you said, that's kind of a that's not a good way to go for new for brand new players. Yeah, be, well, I mean, for especially for new GMs because it raises a lot of issues. But like the railroading issue, mm-hmm. uh, and then player losing autonomy. Like I don't like taking away autonomy from players. Like I want them to be able to control their character. That's why I'm a horrible monster because I don't let players use social skills on one another. Uh, but. <laughs> Just that to, never, just to that beat, will never go away. Just to beat that dead horse into the ground. It's quite dead. It is quite dead. Uh, I want to. I want players to have uh, a sense of control over the characters. And if you're a new player, you you haven't really you know you're not used to that. I don't want to like take it away to make some sort of cheap scare. You know, early, you know, some some control, like maybe like a mutation, you know, like, ah, your arm's turning into a tentacle. What do you do? Actually, we're using the whole werewolf thing. If if it happens when most of the players are asleep. Yeah. Yeah, that could be true. Yeah. You wake up. uh, That's a classic scenario. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole like, who's the werewolf? I mean, there's a whole type of game based on that premise. Uh, I, I remember we played that one time. I forgot who did what because I was so damn tired. Yeah. And I totally messed up one of the games like yeah, that. Yeah, you did. But it's all good. It's uh, all good. One thing I would do is and there's another thing, is like the the sort of mental effect it has on players. Like if you if a player has knows that they're turning into a deep one or a zombie or whatever, slowly but gradually, there's just like I think it builds up a lot in their in their head more than it necessarily has to, and it affects them playing. They just like get this anxiety playing, like oh god, I'm fucking turning into this thing. It sucks, and I hate it. Uh. Yeah, you have to be careful though, because I know some players. If you start do if you do that to them, they'll just go like, all right, well, it's like, like well, I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go kamikaze. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. They're definitely gonna do. That's definitely something to think about. Uh, and uh, it's. That's why I think the more. I mean, and that's a valid reaction some of the time. Like, if your guy's a soldier and he's turning into a zombie, like, I'm just going to grab some grenades, jump in a bunch of zombies, and kill him. Like, that's what a yeah. soldier would do. But if it's a case, like, if you're. Re- if you realize suddenly you're a deep one hybrid. Yeah. But you've got months, if not years, suddenly doing that the moment you hear that news is not yeah. quite. No, it doesn't make sense. Especially yeah. if you're, like, a civilian who's not, like. Uh, a hardened killer like suicide is not something people casually you know unless you're suicide unless you're incredibly depressed mm-hmm. or you're somewhat incredibly used to violence it's not something that comes easily to most people so um it's it would definitely be out of character a lot of the mm-hmm. time and it's definitely a metagame it's all about timing like if you're if you have like an imminent transformation it's probably in a one or two shot game kind of place scenario yeah. so that's yeah but if it's you know like you said if it's I, I I use the deep one because it works so well. Because well, you, you, you've got you could have the Lovecraft story is a really good body horror story. Yeah. So uh, and just yeah. and by the time the guy it finally starts affecting him, he's accepted it. Yeah. Um, exactly, and that's you know uh, a lot to. I mean, you could do worse than imitate Lovecrafts, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, something to think about. Now, like, you know, who's Lovecraft? <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Uh, all right, so these are just some thoughts on our, two of our favorite subgenres of horror, types of horror, architectural and body horror. Uh, some some fodder for your Halloween shenanigans. And uh, when we come back, we will have shout-outs and anecdotes. And, oh, and a letter. Yes, Tom has a letter first. First and next. All right. This is a story about gaming. 
about a single character that I ran many years ago in the dark morass that was high school. His name has been mentioned many times before, and my early obsession with him is well documented. However, while he has a prominent place in my ethos, I have never really chronicled the unique history of the character. His adventures are known only to the very few who were there. I believe this story deserves a wider audience, both as a character study and a journey into the past. So join me, won't you, on a trip back in time. Back before the turn of the millennia, when the internet was new, wrestling was more popular than the news, and Arnold Schwarzenegger was at the height of his popularity. Journey with me to the year 1998, for this is the story of Castor Troy. The story of this character begins in 1997. At this time, Castor Troy was under the loving care of John Woo, and he was truly a force to be reckoned with. According to the, according to the novelization of Face Off, written by Clark Carlton, Troy, who bore an uncanny resemblance to Nicolas Cage, was born to Helen O. Troy, a woman with the parenting skills of a mole rat. He grew up with his younger brother, Pollux Troy, and together they decided to take up a life of crime. Pollux became a very talented bomb maker, and Castor became an all-around killer badass, wielder of twin gold-plated Springfield Armory 45 automatic pistols. They attracted a crew of dangerous cohorts, and together they built a criminal empire. It was by their actions that they attracted the attention of FBI agent Sean Archer. Every villain needs a hero, and Archer became the thorn in Castor's side. So great was the, their rivalry that Castor tried to kill Archer while he was with his son. Archer lived, but his son was killed. Thus started a brilliant hero-villain rivalry that lasted years. If you have watched the movie Face Off, then you know what happened. After switching faces, Archer finally tracked down and killed Castor, ending their long history. But what most don't know is, that was, wasn't the end. Indeed, it was only the beginning of the journey of Mr. Troy. The character's long tutelage under John Woo ended, but a new master stepped up to the plate to lead Castor into the future. His name was Tom, and he was a somewhat awkward 18-year-old. He had a very good imagination, but like many teens, that imagination required raw pop culture to operate properly. Tom saw something in the misanthropic Castor Troy, something that demanded the story not end. And due to the machinations of an equally awkward team named Ross, Troy's story continued. By changing masters, Castor Troy underwent a profound metamorphosis. Somehow, between Archer shooting him with a harpoon gun, Castor got his old face back, healed from his wounds, and was transported to a world that, while similar, was different than the one he knew. It was an earth where demons from a realm called the Nightlands had seized control of world governments, and monsters called Nightspawn, or Nightbane, depending on whether or not Todd McFarlane was an asshole or not, fought them from the shadows. It was a world where magic had returned and many supernatural creatures stalked the night. It was into this world that Castor Troy, now under the control of Tom, found himself thrust. And he found himself flush with new powers. He was a psychic weapons expert, a man with unique powers over weapons, among which was the ability to make weapons he used minor supernatural items. Thus, his still famous gold-plated guns became even more powerful. Though Castor had the chance to try to fight the monsters of this new world, he was a criminal at heart and Tom played him as such. For a bit of time, around two game sessions, Troy tried to continue his life of crime, but something was different. It seemed that violence came at him for far more often. It was as if the life he lived under John Woo was impossible for Tom and Ross to duplicate. It became obvious that violence and combat were the only things two teenagers like Tom and Ross could manage to have time for. Thus, his attempts at creating a criminal empire became long-running battles with monsters with no time for rest or meaningful human inter interaction. Troy would have no time to experience this world from very long. The winds had changed, and Tom Henross had acquired a new book of inspiration for the journey of Mr. Troy. 
It was Rift's undersea, and it was decided that Troy's journey should go there. Luckily, it was Palladium, so a complete world switch was easily achieved. Through a single event that some would call out of nowhere, Caster Troy was flung through space and time to a different world. This was a world where magical ley lines had exploded across the world in the year 2099. Dimensional rifts had destroyed the world, and aliens and demons lived in a world of magic and super science. This was a world that did not require the subtlety that Nightbane did. Luckily, it was a perfect world for Caster Troy to find himself. No laws, no police, and complete freedom to do what he wished. After upgrading his old guns to fire railgun slugs, and thus do mega damage, Troy set out for fame and fortune on the open sea of a post-apocalypse world. Sadly, the tale of Caster Troy on Rift's Earth was short-lived. Being teenagers, Ross and Tom did not have the patience to stick to one set of make-believe rules for long. The stewardship of Caster Troy under Tom was soon over, as newer characters and newer systems hove into view. Like so many characters of that time, he was left behind on the winds of time and fate, left to an uncertain future. Sometimes, when I'm home alone and the power goes out, I find myself drifting back to the morass of 1998. I think of Caster Troy, now on the open ocean of Rift's Earth. I wonder what he has been up to now that he is untethered to a controlling entity like myself. I imagine him on the artificial island of Tritonia, drinking booze and banging some hot amphib chick. Or maybe he is in with a group of Horoon pirates, sailing on their dream ships and robbing coastal settlements of valuables and slaves. Or maybe he's doing nothing. Maybe without me controlling the journey, he is motionless in limbo, all experience nullified as his reality has ceased to move. Maybe he is waiting for his muse to return. Maybe he is there, in the deathly silent and still world of Rift's Underseas, hoping that one day, Tom and Ross will continue the journey, that we will open up the ancient soft-covered tomes and begin the adventure anew, so that the stillness will end and the wielder of the two gold-plated railgun pistols will once again be the criminal terror he was before. And to that I say fat fucking chance. Well, that was unexpectedly poignant, Tom. Well, thank you. Uh, the uh, requiem for a player character. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so far. <laughs> uh, yeah, what, uh, very metaphysical, wondering about the fate of an abandoned player character. I, I do that sometimes, There's yeah. a whole limbo of filled with probably hundreds of thousands of player characters out I there. I imagine that, yeah. Like, they cover that kind of in the game Chrono, Tr- Chrono Cross for the yeah. like of a of a world that was suddenly ceased to be now just kind of frozen in place. Uh, that's one possible concept of it, conception yeah. of it. Um, but yeah, I I, I, t- I had to break open Rift's Undersea's to like yeah, that because I, I I had to remember I needed to remember some things about that. Yeah, you I I remember vaguely of it like mm-hmm. I I there yeah Nightbane and Caster Troy and then. Fucking Rifts Underseas. Me, I remember being excited about Rifts Underseas, but like, other than that, yeah, yeah not By much. Way, just you know, you can actually play a humpback whale in Rifts <laughs> Underseas. It is I, an RCC. Well, it's not a space whale. No, so it's it not a space. It whale. Doesn't matter. It does. It's fine. It's fine. It, it's fine. But, but that's kind of a character that. Well, what if we go outside he, of the underseas? Yeah. That might be a problem. Yeah, they didn't have the cybernetic leg walker thing, no. except that they have in the close face. <laughs> but yeah, like for you, I mean, I can see that you were obviously you had far more emotional involvement than I did with that game because yes. you remember it a lot better than I do. 
Yeah, it's just I don't know what it was with that fucking character. It, yeah, yeah, I remember like Caster Troy, like holy shit, you really fucking love that guy. You for like a, for like a year he was your spirit animal. Yeah, for like a year he was. Yeah, no, he was he was your totem. Uh, like if you had taken some peyote, you would be out in the desert, and he would be the one. I would see him going like, "Ready, ready for the big ride, baby." Yeah, see you. I'll know more about that. But I, I, but then, I I'm kind of tempted to like do riffs underseas and resurrect him now, <laughs> just for the like. I could hear Caleb from down this act. Like, yeah. You yeah. were the chosen one, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. So just for that, but on the other hand, then I think, oh, but I'd have to. I actually have to use riffs. Like, ugh, yeah, ugh, yeah. It's, it wouldn't be the same. Maybe, a, maybe a league game. You know, <laughs> like we could do a league game about abandoned player characters. You know, it's just like <laughs> I'm cast Detroit, but man, I went through some shit you don't even know. And now I have real guns that are gold bladed. <laughs> like, and they're also minor supernatural weapons too. <laughs> okay, I don't. Remember. It's 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 a class from uh, I forget. It's one of the uh, Nightbane expansion books. It's the psychic. Web psychic weapons expert. <laughs> is that the name of the OCC? I believe it is something like that. It sounds like okay. I research. I I didn't bother to research that. Yeah. I didn't. I wasn't crazy. But just <sighs> yeah, words. Family. Words. <laughs> uh, but I will admit, actually, yeah. now that I've read, I think Underseas was one of my the riffs, my favorite riffs books. No, I remember running games in riffs Underseas. I remember I like the concepts of it. Yeah, and I like undersea games like games. And it's actually it's not Bioshock-y. it's not like ridiculously overpowered either. No, no, it wasn't like yeah, a lot of them. Um, it was actually one of the more solid like books. England uh, yeah. or. Fucking wormwood. Or South America with that site, that one monster slayer class that. I thought that was Atlantean. The Atlantean? Or, no, it's, 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 it's. We are really trying yeah. to spend too much energy remembering about riffs. Like, we should. But the thing is, like, we do. That. But the thing yeah. is, we do because we play yeah, it. Yeah. Bring in. Yeah. You. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of the things. Um, I. Yeah. The, the, the whole. Like, the. Oh, God, just all those characters, and I w- I had something, but I totally forgot it. So uh, we'll just have to move yeah, on. Just, yeah, just yeah, a realm, the realm of abandoned PCs. Yeah, no, I like that idea. Uh, maybe I should run a fate game. Uh, <laughs> actually, I could totally run a fate game about that. Uh, so because we have run Fate Accelerated now, mm-hmm. uh, we have. we will be doing another game set in that. Uh, but anyways, let's let's bring up some uh, shout outs. Indeed, bring in that. Uh, so anyways. Um, so I got to go to New York uh, for a couple days. Uh, my family it was an early Christmas given for my family because uh, for these last ten months, nine months, I've been like just driving around the world. Like, yeah, well, what'd you do? I worked on baser. I worked on the book. I worked on the book. I worked on the book. Did you know that? And just yeah, like, I came all, in here. I was getting literally, all Ross was typing like all work and no play make yeah. Ross a dull boy. Yeah. So they kind of wanted me to, and uh, I had family that was up there working, so I had a free place to stay. So I managed to see some of New York uh, fairly cheap and. Um, so it was pretty awesome. So I'm not going to dr- uh, go through the whole trip, but there were a couple of highlights. Uh, I know Tom is going to mention, first off, I did get to attend a, da- a taping of The Daily Show. I was really lucky to get a ticket online. Uh, it took me all day to get there, but it was worth it, uh, and it was very fun. Uh, it was the October 7th uh, thing of uh, the episode. You might have the noticed episode. something different on that episode. No, something well, in the that air. was one where he uh, interviewed Catherine uh, Sibelius, uh, uh, the uh, human services secretary, mm-hmm. which is a very in-depth interview and very 
uh, controversial or later on because John really asked her some tough questions about it. I, uh, about I, I do the, find it. I find it sad and amusing at the same time that he's one of the more trusted names in news. Yeah. But uh, so that was really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my shout out, my first shout out goes to Mr. Burns, a post electric play. Now, this is the one play I got to see <coughs> when I was in New York. because I'm not really much of a Broadway musical kind of person. A, but yeah. I, the description of this, um, I actually got the script. And what I'm going to recommend is you guys, if you don't live in New York or can't afford tickets, uh, go the 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 script for it is 12 bucks. And it's a play. But it's this the book itself is worth 12 bucks because. Just reading it as a piece of literature, I think, would be a good idea. So, when what uh, here's the description of it in the back of, of the script book. What will endure when the cataclysm arrives? When the grid fails, society crumbles, and we're faced with the task of rebuilding. Uh, Anne uh, Washburn's imaginative dark comedy propels us towards nearly a century, following following a new civilization stumbling into its future. Uh, P.N. to uh, live theater and to the resilience of Bart Simpson through the ages, Mr. Burns is an animated exploration of how the pop culture of one era might evolve into the mythology of another. So, uh, first off, you remember that scene in Reign of Fire, which is a kind of a... That's where they're, they're basically they're acting out Star Wars. Yeah, as in front of a campfire to kids. So, it's kind of like that, but with the Simpsons. So, the, it's three-act play. First act taught is like right after the apocalypse, people are around a campfire and they're trying to distract themselves from, you know, the apocalypse by trying to remember uh, the Cape Fear episode of The uh, Simpsons. And you know that one. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, wah, 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 wah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and they, they're trying to remember what happens in it. And it alternates between like being funny because you're like, oh, what was the line? To being like dark, like, oh God, how close are we to that nuclear power plant? And what's going to happen to it when it uh, melts down? Yeah, yeah uh, what should we do? So. That's the first act. Second act talks of seven years later. Those same group of survivors have become a, st- a theater, a stage uh, actor troupe, and they reenact plays as live theater. <laughs> and so they're going through rehearsal of this. Mm. They're trying to, to bring back the Cape Fear episode. And it talks that they're, so they're rehearsing and they're, they give it in the, the little trade craft of being actors in the post-apocalyptic world without electricity. So they can't watch episodes of The Simpsons anymore. They can't watch the DVDs. Uh, so they talk about how like they have to pay for lines. People will come forward and like, I know one line from this episode, give me some food and I'll pay I'll mm-hmm. give you the line. And they are so that I thought that was fascinating using lines of the Simpsons as currency. Like you would be King there. You would, I'd, I'd, you'd be a rich man, uh, with your knowledge of ghostbusters and die hard and, like, uh, <laughs> Like, bring me a goblet of something cool and refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Unless, you know, some warlord held you hostage as a slave yeah. reenactor. In case it'd be like, you know, the depressed guy chained to the front fender of the lead marauder's nitro truck. Yeah, exactly. And like, quote me, Ghostbusters slave. It's like, just quote away. Just quote <laughs> away. <laughs> uh, so I'm sure that's probably happening somewhere in the yeah. Mr. Burns world. And they also talk about how they do commercials, which are just like nostalgia for like consumer products. Like, oh, how was your day at work? Oh, it was good. I had Diet Coke for lunch. And like, oh, I'm going to take a hot 
hot shower and like, <laughs> like yeah uh, yeah so like that that was their thing <laughs> and uh then they did uh, another commercial break was um singing songs from the past but like they condensed every pop song from the last 10 years into their hooks so <laughs> like my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard it's harder stronger faster better you know like yeah. it was brilliant yeah. and uh so that's the second act and they get into like oh that other theater they're buying more lines than us oh well what are we gonna do about that well we can't mm. afford that well let's change the episode no that other episode's terrible well we have a better line for that episode one mm. line is that enough what's the line you know so it goes on back and forth it's really good and they have the these dark elements they yell at you. anyway so it's really good uh and then the third act 75 years after that after the second act and the simpsons up ep- the cape fear episode has metamorphosized into a greek type drama mask <laughs> drama like they have these stylized masks if you go to their website you can see the masks mm-hmm. and it's singing drama and it's like we're on the boat and we're going to be fine we're <laughs> sailing we're in trouble then Mr. Satchel Bob becomes Mr. Burns and he has like a nuclear trifle symbol on his back he's like ah I'm going to kill all of you and like his two minions are itchy and scratchy and like <laughs> Bart is like the trickster hero type and it's like the puckish rogue yeah the puckish rogue and <laughs> it shit was insane and it's like insanely well written the actors were amazing and like i'm not a theater kind of person like mm-hmm. the only theater live theater i've seen lately like evil dead and night of the living dead which because our yeah friend of our PPR nathan Hilton, who also did the Shadowbound web series uh did those and also evil dead and night of the living dead that's yeah pretty obvious and the shit-eating monster commercial yeah yeah and then yeah exactly that's true art yeah right? yeah that is true art. so but this, if you ever get a chance to see it, or if you want to pay 12 bucks plus shipping from Playwright Horizons, and get this, uh, I think it's worth it. And, like, this is shit for, like, red markets, too. Mm-hmm. Like, if people are willing to, you know, in a post-zombie society, like, people might want to remember shit from pop culture as a, as a source of solace and also a way of dealing with the apocalypse. Yeah. So. Don't bother with the Rifts movie script, though. Don't save that. Yeah. That. Yeah. And that would be the first to be burned in the purge of the. Uh, we must get rid of the trash of the old world. So uh, you had a couple of. Uh, yep, uh, I got one. Is a game I've been. I'm going to go to a video game. Hmm. This is on Steam. Game Dev Tycoon, and I'm. You know, if you know me, I love me some sim games. You know, like starting with the old old ass Sim City, but this one is. It's a, a game where you're a game dev and you're making games. You start like in the 1980s in your garage. And work your way up to, you know, today. And actually, it goes through the release of all the game systems that have come out. <laughs> Only, you know, it's like slightly altered versions. Right. You know, it's nin, you know, Ninvento. It comes out with the, uh, the uh, Ninvento Entertainment System in the 80s. The first console. Nice. And it goes all the way up to, uh, like, you know, you know, the, the you know, VR type stuff. Nice. Nice. And it's, yeah, it's pretty damn challenging, too. Yeah, uh, those games are also available for mobile systems too, yeah. Android and iOS. And it's nine. It was nine dollars. I greatly appreciated that. <laughs> so yeah, very fun game. Uh, second shout out. I obviously want to mention High Rise, the JG Ballard novel, because uh, architectural horror. It's pretty mm-hmm. like it's Lord of the Flies plus it, rich people doing Lord of the Flies in a, uh, a high rise condominium building in London, and it's like yeah. The main the main detraction. I, I do want to. This written in the sixties. By a British guy, so it's a it's pretty madman in its kind treatment. Of misogynist, of women. yeah. It like women are there to as sex objects and to be and sh- clean, harpies. Clean the house, and well, they don't clean the house. That's kind of the Lord of the Flies part of it. No, oh, yeah, yeah. It's 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 kind of like a little again. 
it was written by somebody who thought, you know, lived in Mad Men era life. So uh, there's that. Um, I know you wanted to talk about uh, the place we were at the other night. So yeah, it's uh, I'm nor- I'm normally I'm kind of shut in. No, not total shut in, but I'm kind of I'm introvert. I don't like to go socialize without yeah. the, the people that aren't people that I know. Right. But we went down. We it was birthday, so I found myself downtown. Yeah. On a weekend. <laughs> And uh, of course, you know, food and food and drink started. Then uh, Jason mentioned there's a new place in Springfield called Barcade. Yeah, B A R K A D E, and it's essentially it's one of the most brilliant concepts I've ever heard. Is it's a it's a booze up with arcade and video games as lubricant. Yeah, that's what it is. It's this place you go. It's got you know it's place you know loud music. It's it. And it's you can play. It has like arcade not cabinets. Not that loud, like yeah, not loud not deafening, the, not yeah, deafening. Yeah. yeah, it's not super loud, but yeah. But it has arcade games, like not and they're not like the '80s games. But like a place like 1984, which we have, <laughs> yeah, which is the total '80s. This is like games I played when I was a teen, young yeah. teenager, and. The well, they also have new stuff like the Terminator Salvation game, yeah. and they also have a PS uh, three they, and a three sixty, and all uh, kinds of consoles. Yeah, yeah. And it's that you know games are free if you're drinking. Yeah. And everyone was drinking. Yeah, it was pretty good. And also cool, they let DDs drink and play for free. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's so if you're yeah we we probably might do an RPPR meetup at some point at Barcade or something. If, you, if like any of you guys can make it to Springfield, yeah, we'll have to organize that. Uh, give you guys some heads up. We're, uh, we're gonna have to do some work on that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um. I want to mention, but we'll do it for you, the listeners. A uh, quick, sort of quick shout out. Uh, uh, RPPR forum goer Mikma has set up a Minecraft Feed the Beast Ultimate uh, server. Where this is Feed the Beast is a mod pack with a shitload of stuff. Like uh, I, 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 uh, and I just bring this up. You have to go on the forums to to register to get the password and be whitelisted and all this other shit, or get the IP. Uh, I've been playing a couple hours. It's fun and like holy shit. There's so many mods and new. Yeah, like. I can't even get the to the bottom of it. Like so, <laughs> um, uh, the RPVR Minecraft server is so dead much Minecraft. Yeah, I'm. I don't want to admin. I hate se- server admin because that's just a black hole of time to learn how to do Minecraft admin shit. But I like playing Minecraft with mods, so I'm gonna there try go. that for a while. So, um, let's see. Next up, uh, John dies at the end. Good. Uh, yeah. Finally read the novel. Watched the movie. Very fun. Very uh, fun. The novel, I think, is a little better because, you know, full novel. It's got some it's, good horror. got some good body horror in it, too. Um, characters blacking out, not remembering what they're doing. Like, oh, God. Uh, and some other stuff at the end that I don't want to spoil. And, sure, sure. Uh, but uh, a lot of really cool. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a fun I, movie. I love the movie. Yeah, the movie's yeah, really I just cool. love the, like, like, you know, wait. Because you see her as her because I'm seeing her as someone else. Like, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Fun stuff. Yeah, um, that was actually pretty faithful to the novel. That that first segment. Um, next up, uh, let's see here. A <coughs> Occult uh, America, uh, a book. I ju- I, I've been on a reading spurge ever since I finished. Uh, so you said I. I suddenly have time to do other things. I know. So I've been reading a lot lately. Uh, so aside from my race, I've also read Occult America, which is a nonfiction book about occult. <laughs> movements that started in America had an American ethos. Um, so spiritualism, which was, you know, 19th century, but it had a very American can do attitude. Like, Hey, let's talk to dead people. That'll be great. How can they benefit society? Woo. Uh, America. Yeah. A lot of spiritual spiritualists were actually abolitionists and suffragists, uh, Mm -hmm. 
so it was very interesting. I uh, also talked about like New Thought, you know, Psychiana, and a lot of other uh, also African American stuff like Hoodoo, which is different than Voodoo. Right. Uh, and it's very interesting. Uh, it's it's not it's not academic. It's kind of popular press, so it's pretty easy to get into. It's only two hundred fifty pages, so it's a uh, two fifty uh, pages, so it's a pretty quick read. Uh, so I thought that was good. Uh, you saw a really good movie. Yeah, uh, on our movie night, which we often do. Since uh, someone didn't bother to show up, who normally provides all the entertainment, yeah, we watched something on Netflix, a movie called "It's a Disaster." Yeah, uh, which basically our whole idea was: all right, let's just find something on Netflix that none of us have ever seen before, and we'll just watch it. And that came up, and we saw it had David Cross in it, and I'm like, oh hey, David Cross, he was. And it's basically it's about a movie about like like three through like four couples who are going to couples brunch. Yeah. Which apparently has been going on every like every weekend for years, you know, though no one really likes doing it. And while they're doing that, there's a massive like you know cataclysmic terrorist attack all across the country, and they're they're you know it's and it's these couples basically still going through all their bullshit as just the world crumbles around them. <laughs> nice. And it's it gets kind of dark and poignant at a few points, but most of the time it kind of keeps up. It's not nearly as insane as like this is the end, yeah. where it's like you know demons are showing up in Los Angeles and shit. Yeah, but it's it's yeah it's actually it's still really good. It's got a lot of gr- really great acting, yeah. which I was really appreciative of. Cool. So, so we all we all agreed like like holy crap that's good. Yeah, nice. We just chose something at random on Netflix and it was good. Good job Netflix. Good, good job. job. Good job. <laughs> um, let's see I would also like to mention uh, two more things uh, one is wool I know we mentioned the first part of it a, long, a while ago on RPPR but I've read the first five segments of it the, the wool companion which is like 500 pages it's a post-apocalyptic uh, novel uh, well series of novellas they're broken up into five parts and it's about like people who live in this uh, silo and in the beginning it's like you know they've been there for hundreds of for a while, uh, and they can't go out because you know poisonous most mm-hmm. of thing. So think like a vault, but you know just straight down silo. And they uh, the one crime is to want to say you want to go outside because if you do that, they send you outside. They put you in a, a suit and give you a wool pad to clean our sensors outside. And then so everyone does that when they when they go out there, and then their suit fails, and then they die. And they die inside of the camera, you know, so everybody sees the dead people just rotting away in the post. So that's how it starts. And then, holy shit. And then, holy shit. And then, holy shit. Like, it, like <laughs> it's it's incredibly well structured. It's got really good characterization uh, of the, the people. Like, they follow each segment follows a different person's point mm-hmm. of view. Uh, well, sometimes, well, in, in sometimes they alternate, but like, um, Every character that it follows, it it uh, uh, characterizes very well, and it's very it's a quick read. Like I read almost all of it just in like I read like a third of it while I was waiting for in line in the Daily Show. <laughs> you know, I just had my Kindle and I read it. You know, for a couple hours, and it's you just burn through it. So don't be put off by the five hundred pages, five hundred forty pages. Um, there's a print version coming out eventually. Uh, there's two more. It's not even complete. Like there's two other things: Shift and Dust, and that like is Shift is like a prequel, and Dust is like a sequel to Wool. Uh, and they kind of talk about what happens after the events of Wool. So I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, but so I'm I, I uh, 
so anyways, I, I really liked it. Okay. I think you like it too, Tom. But um, and then finally, uh, a t-shirt vendor. Um, my brother had actually got me one of his t-shirts years ago. This guy who sells t-shirts, his own his own designs in New York City, is a street vendor. And then I saw him and like, hey, I got your t-shirt. I bought more t-shirts. So his uh, his name is It Two, um, and he has these really cool t-shirt designs, including like a cyber Buddha, like a Buddha with binary code over his head, nice. kind of mm-hmm. aura, and then uh, other designs. So it's a really cool designs. Um, and I think some of a lot of the RP Prepare listeners, I have a bunch of his shirts. Uh, he has got like a Heisenberg theory, uh, t-shirt that's really cool. Uh, and, uh, so on and so forth. So, nice. uh, neat t-shirt designs. Anyways. So, um, that's it for shout outs. Anecdote. Yeah. Well, we have so many to choose from. Yeah. Uh, but I think we should do actually, this is gonna, I think the, one of the more recent things we've done. Yeah. Is, uh. Caleb is currently running, uh, I guess... Uh, Clips phase. Clips phase. I guess this would be a prequel. It's a playtest for an adventure. the adventure he's writing mm-hmm. for Posthuman Studios. That is, it's not technically a prequel to No It happens Evil. before, though. It would be in the main No Evil continuity. I don't like... They're still working on it, so I don't know. Like, it's not officially No mm-hmm. Evil, but it could be. So... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, so we're playing that we were playing uh another crack team. Yeah. We use the transhuman uh player guidebook. Yeah. Uh life path systems. Uh well I mean, you you didn't. You you just I used the background. I used all the backgrounds. Um yeah. So But I, it's a good it's good. Yeah, no the, the life path system works. Um and we're going to Legba. Legba is the nine lives home base. And, and the nine uh, lives are very bad people. They are very bad people. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> so anyways, and, uh, we're supposed to go in there and find some sort of existential threat. So yes. we have to go in there and talk to all the uh, baddies. Yeah, and uh, first thing I, I think I'll mention is uh, I, t- we were, I we were t- I, I was trying to get in with the these uh, the crazy people. Yeah. So, yeah, I see. Yeah, the yeah nine lives. They're you know there are different factions within yeah, nine lives. So, but the whole group, they basically they they take people, they take minds and enslave them. Right. And break break them and enslave them. Well, there's like the businessman faction that it's all uh, it's just business. Yeah, it's business. Selling egos is business. And then there's the psycho faction, which is like fuck with us and we'll send these psychos after you. They're the like, enforcers. They're like they're, you know, it's like a religion to them. Right. So uh, and we're trying. It's them we're trying to get in with. We're we're trying to find out information there. And uh, I yeah, and. I'm playing. I, I'm playing uh, someone that can actually do it. So I go up to talk to the leader. Psychosurgery. Yeah, psychosurgeon. Yeah. And the, he says, you know, I and f- we're trying to get information from their leader, and the only way I could do it is to uh, take. I think it's take the oath. Yeah. Which is essentially you have to break, you know, torture and break a an ego in a simul space, basically torturing him to the point where you break him. Right. And I had to do that. And I think Caleb wanted me to, okay, well, like, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to break it? I'm like, and then I realized I'm not the kind of person that thinks of hideous tortures just off the top of my head. Yeah, that's kind of hard. Like, to kind of, like the thing is, these were, like, ultra-decadent, ultra-sadistic yeah, so it was people. Like, but they, they, yeah, it had to be, like, a symbolic torture. Or something. Well, it had to be, like, something that would impress them. Mm-hmm. And so... 
like how do you impress people who are basically as pure evil as you can get in the world of eclipse phase in the setting of eclipse phase and that's hard to do like that's like we're not like we're not clive barker no you're not clive barker no i even i even think clive barker would have to like give it a give it a yeah, few yeah you have to like hmm, what would hellraiser do so yeah <laughs> that, what, that like what would, what would the cenobites do yeah so we couldn't. So he just. Reduced. I mean, it finally came out like, all right, Tom, if you if you voluntarily fail a uh, will save, yeah, and then you can do something and like, all right, well, you need. This, I I just do it. Yeah, and thankfully, I we avoided descriptions of what it was. Yeah, whatever it was. I mean, I, mean, I tried something at first, but like, then I realized. Yeah. I'm I'm not good at this. Yeah, I'm not would, good. It would take like a couple hours to think of something that's sufficiently fucked up enough, and then you're like, you've spent hours thinking of something really fucked up to do to a fictional character. Yeah. That's fucked up in itself. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm t- I'm violent. Yeah, I'm a, I can be a totally you're a big killer. Punisher. I'm a bit. I can be a total killer, but torture's yeah. different. Unless you're the Punisher. Unless you're the Punisher. And you you want to be the Punisher. In some a lot of the characters I play. Yes. <laughs> um, what I also like. Is that Aaron was really outraged yeah, the about this thing, guy because yeah. they were like running pit yeah, fights. Aaron like like totally justified moral outrage. Just just yeah, you know, like, he was like just grinding his teeth together. Just I hate these guys so yeah, much. Yeah, but then like we find out like oh well we can just take over this whole faction if we just kill their leader in single combat. And I was like Aaron, why don't you go do that? Because like, he was actually a pretty decent at. Well, no, not really. I don't think he was, but I, I, I was okay, but I didn't. I wasn't a hundred percent of my, mm-hmm. my odds, and I was like, mm, let's talk to him before I fight him to the death. Uh, the but Aaron was like, oh, but Aaron was like, oh god, I want to just shoot them all. I want to kill them all. Like, well, fucking shoot them. Well, all. go do it. Yeah, go do it. It's like, no, no, no. no. Oh god, I want to kill them. I was like, damn it, Aaron. Yeah, uh, is he? A- he almost like he almost had a badass moment. That would have been badass, but he probably oh, would. He would have died most likely. Like yeah, like he'll apparently min max the shit out of the leader for combat, which makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, a good job. Yeah. yeah. Why was the crazy leader the best fighter? What that doesn't Jesus. Mean, yeah. Uh, can't he be an accountant or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that that's totally uh, killer GM right there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, almost had a badass moment. Yeah, almost, but. You know, that's our Aaron. Uh, so that's yeah, that's our Aaron. Da, we'll ha- da, 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 yeah, da. we'll have the the playtest of that up sooner or later. And <laughs> <laughs> at some point, uh, at some point in the future. Yeah. So I think that kind of concludes this. Indeed, little, uh, I think uh, our fir- hopefully our fir- the first of uh, first of two episodes for October. Uh, probably not given our schedules, but we had the game designer workshop with me and Caleb. Yeah. Which? I think we need to do we need to do one for Halloween itself. Uh, well, you're well. Okay, we we could try. I'm, we I'm, will. <laughs> all right. Uh, so hopefully this helped you, uh, guys, with a little thing about architectural and body horror. And, Indeed. Uh, Maybe so combine the two. This is Rollpoint Public Radio. This has been RPPR episode ninety three. Better homes and bodies. I'm Ross Payton. I'm Tom Church. We'll uh, talk to you guys next time.
reports from witnesses to the effect that people who acted as though they were in a kind of trance were killing and eating their victims prompted authorities to examine the bodies of some of the victims. Medical authorities in Cumberland have concluded that in all cases, the killers are eating the flesh of the people they murdered. Repeating this latest bulletin just received moments ago from Cumberland, Maryland, civil defense authorities have told newsmen that murder victims show evidence of having been 